cliffcentral.com. Okay, so South Africa is uh, the country that's decided to take Israel to the ICJ, the International Courts of Justice, in order to try and accuse them of genocide. Um, they've been supported by a number of other countries. They've been um, uh, laughed at by some countries. Uh, Israel themselves are mounting a defense as we speak. But South Africa put their case to the court yesterday, and uh, Mark Oppenheimer is here to help us understand exactly what that means, what South Africa's submission looked like, who led our team, and uh, what we think may happen from here. Yes, so it's (laughs) the biggest legal team that I've ever seen in any case ever. Really? So we have four senior counsel, two king's counsel, three junior counsel, and a partridge in a pear tree. I mean, the amount of money that must have been spent on this litigation. Insane. um, And the amount of time that would have been put into it. It's also a very interesting um, timing in terms of when it was produced. So goes out on the 29th of December. South Africa say we'd like a hearing within the first week of January. So you've got this gigantic legal team producing an 84-page document that's heavily footnoted, I think, to over 500 uh, different references. And then you said, Israel, and go, please defend. Very difficult. Um, and so they've had a very small amount of time to put up a defense. Um, the South Africans have also done something very disingenuous in terms of how the case is brought, which is it's almost mystifying to South Africa why uh, Israel is engaged in military uh, um this military activity in Israel, I mean, sorry, in Gaza, which is October 7th. So in one paragraph, uh, the line is that um, 1,200 Israelis lost their lives. Well, But they don't say how it happened or... No. So what you have, of course, is the uh, largest attack against Jews since the Holocaust, where uh, civilians are deliberately targeted. In other words, you have actual genocidal intent to kill Jews because they are Jews, uh, to rape women to death. I mean, the New York Times have one of the most harrowing accounts from an eyewitness um, that I've ever read in my life of a woman being gang raped while her breast is being cut off of her and then discarded and then she is then executed. You have people whose pelvises are broken from the from the rapes. Um, just the most horrifying things that happen. You know, uh, The villages in that region um, outside of Gaza are often lived in by people who were uh, on the on the left, who were very sympathetic to the plight of Palestinians, who would often take Palestinians to hospitals, uh, they were savagely murdered. Um, and then, of course, you have the hostage crisis. You have these hostages, you know, who are um, elderly women, um, young children, uh, who are kidnapped, um, many of whom still are in Gaza at the moment. And you know, the line is, of course, is also just what turn the other cheek. Um, and you have a mass saying, "We are going to do this again and again and again." Um, Mark, let's just begin with why why South Africa? Because that seems to perplex people inside of this country and outside all over the world. When South Africa itself has hardly been, you know, consistent in our application of international law. When it suits us, we don't. When it suits us, we do. We seem completely capricious on this front. We are big mates with Russia. Russia currently engaged in a war with Ukraine. We've said we're very much on their side. They're clearly the aggressors. The rest of the international community are very much against them. But we say, so what? Omar al-Bashir comes to visit here. We won't arrest him, even though the ICC, the International Criminal Court, has declared him a human rights violator and genocidal maniac. Uh, we decide we're not going to do anything. But, but when they're Jews, different story. 
Very much so. So as you say, South Africa has very little regard for international law. Uh, it's threatened to withdraw from the Rome Statute on a number of occasions, which is the statute that would um, bind it to the decisions of the ICC. By the way, the Rome Statute is the statute that declares apartheid a crime against humanity. So there's right. a, a real interesting uh, irony that happens in this. So yeah, it's not clear that South Africa cares about human rights um, or you know really cares about international order. So why us? Well, I suppose... One would be that there is some political gain um, that uh, the ANC think that they would be able to stir up support among um, among local South Africans or um, help fund its election campaign through um, doing this and receiving illicit donations. From what, like Iran? Or- yes, I mean, uh, we know that... Um, you know, we've had government ministers go to Iran um, sure. during this time and take instructions, and we've met with Hamas. Um, you know, the the Western world understand Hamas to be a terror group. Um, you know, in the US, in Europe, in the UK, in Australia, it's a terror group. In South Africa, it's not. Um, and not well, just... Well, they sent a delegation here not so long ago. Yes, and Fakir and Bulul met with them with pictures of Sora Maposa behind them. Uh, they applauded their efforts of resistance. Uh, no critique of the, the rapes or the, the killing of civilians. All wearing kafirs and being part of a struggle again. How exciting. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's kind of horrifying, so I did an interview on SAFM yesterday and callers in would say things like, you're a propagandist because you're mentioning these rapes which never happened. Now, that level of denial is just so sickening. You know, if the general feeling is that we should believe women, um, that gender-based violence is an epidemic in South Africa in just the most horrendous way, but when it comes to Jewish women, um, don't believe them, they're liars, don't believe... Uh, the New York Times. No, we know, we know, people. we know. The left wing all over the world is is again completely capricious on this front. It's fine to be a big Me Too activist until it's a Republican. We don't care anymore. That's it's just it's the most nonsense hypocrisy imaginable. Anyway, what what happens then with this huge team and this massive international spectacle? Because clearly that's what it is. Uh, how enforceable are the decisions of the ICJ, for example? But first of all, how did South Africa do? Yes. So South Africa had to show a number of things. The one is you've got to prove genocidal intent in order to meet the uh, the, the convention. What, like, for example, just killing people because they're Jews? Would that be enough? Yes. So in other words, I think it's quite obvious that you could prove genocidal intent on behalf of Hamas. Mm-hmm. In other words, Hamas guys go and deliberately target civilians right. uh, to kill them because they're Jews. Um, they're trying to wipe out an ethnic group. Pretty easy case to make. Now the question is, is Israel liable for genocidal intent? It is the case that Palestinian civilians have been killed. Mm. Why have they been killed? Well, Israel has made it very clear that in order to protect its, uh, itself and its citizens and to meet its obligations and rights in terms of Article 51 of the UN Charter, which says that all states have the right to defend themselves against uh, armed attacks um, and that no right, no, nothing in the rest of the UN Charter would remove this right, that they have an obligation to go and eradicate Hamas. Now, one of the difficulties with Hamas is that they've embedded themselves in civilian areas. So they've hidden themselves in hospitals, they've hidden hostages in hospitals, uh, in mosques, in schools, in apartment blocks. Um, They're not an ordinary military outfit. They're not wearing military regalia. They're not setting up military bases. So they're using civilians as human shields. Now, what you have is that there's a ratio of about two to one in terms of uh, militants killed versus civilians. So Israel estimate between seven and 8,000 Hamas militants who've been killed um, out of about 20,000. 
Now, every civilian loss of life is regrettable, um, but we must have a look at the context generally and say, well, what does that ratio look like in terms of other uh, armed conflicts? So we know, for example, that when uh, NATO was involved in the war in Yugoslavia in order to try and stop a genocide there, that the ratio was four to one. So for every militant Serbian that was killed, four civilians were killed. So Israel, in other words, is doing much better on that front under more difficult conditions um, where Hamas... But this is such a macabre and, and grotesque way of accounting for war, which is a very crazy, violent, ugly situation. Wars are not done on a balance sheet. Perhaps the costs of war can be calculated on a balance sheet, but war is not some tidy thing where we'll kill one of yours, you kill one of ours until we run out of men or something. Um, and it seems absolutely crass, even though Israel, by the book, are trying their best to limit civilian casualties. Fair enough. And you've just brought up Yugoslavia, which is an interesting comparison because that's in living memory too. Uh, but all death is regret. All death is regret- regrettable in these situations. But it doesn't. To do an accounting of the number of corpses, is that the way we figure who the right guys and the and the wrong guys are here? Surely not. It's a it's a bizarre way of doing the calculus. So if you think about comparing deaths in World War Two, and you said, well, who were the oppressors? Let's just see who killed more people. That would be insane. You know, the Allies uh, killed a lot of people. Um, well, just in, in the Germany. bombing of Dresden, they must have killed. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, in days. Yeah, so you have a large number of people that were killed in various bombing campaigns. Um, you have a lot, a lot of people that were killed, and the Nazis were clearly the bad guys. It wouldn't matter if more of them died than than the British. Um, what matters is the justness of the war. Now, proportionality is a factor that's considered in combat, but it's not this accounting exercise. We just go, what does the death total look like? So it's why I find it so obnoxious when it's the way that the reporting goes. So twelve hundred Israelis died. And 20,000 Palestinians have died. This looks disproportionate. Mm. Well, first of all, you must ask how they died and why they died. Proportionality, the rule is this, which is that for every particular military strike, it is the obligation of the military commander to work out what is our strategic objective, um, what measures can we take to protect civilian lives, while recognizing that collateral damage is inevitable in any war, and then asking, is that collateral damage proportionate to the strategic goal we have? Now, the strategic goal might be the particular military target, in other words, taking out these Hamas commanders. Mm-hmm. It might also be a deterrence effect to prevent further attacks from Hamas, also to send a signal to Hezbollah. So we must not forget that hundreds of thousands of Israelis have been driven out of their homes in the north of Israel because of right. attacks um, and threats of attack from Hezbollah in Lebanon. Right. So you need to send that signal. So when you're doing the proportionality analysis, it's a whole range of factors. It's not just, as you say, adding up the ledgers. Okay, so... South Africa then go and present their case. Uh, you mentioned they, in passing, referred to October the 7th. Uh, what do they say Israel has malicious intent and desire, malice aforethought, in order to bring about the deaths of as many Palestinians, Gazans as possible? Yes. Women and children especially. This is the claim. So the, the claim is to say that a large number of the casualties are women and children, that the Israelis are deliberately trying to wipe out in whole or in part um, Palestinian people um, and that they have the genocidal intent. One of the interesting ironies in the presentation, so as I said, there's this gigantic team. One of the uh, members of that team is uh, Timbega Nagatobi, whose uh, role was to argue around genocidal intent. And he cites a song um, sung by Israeli soldiers where they say we must wipe out the seed of Amalek. Um, Now, some of you might recall Timbega was involved in the Kill the Boer case 
where he said the song Kill the Boer is merely metaphorical and we shouldn't take it seriously, despite the fact that you have um, a mother and a daughter who were um, raped with broken bottles and killed and Kill the Boer is written in blood uh, on their walls. Um, it's merely metaphorical, but wipe the seed out of the Amalek. Well, this is clear genocidal intent. It's a very difficult tension that Mr. Ngatobi has in making that argument. Um, so there's been a move to try and say that we can look at individual speech. So certain things were said, and of course it's accept, it's understandable why Israelis would be so angry at what had happened that they would say things like, we need to win at all costs, we need to you know um, strike out our enemy. You know, when you're... Um, you know, sister has been raped and murdered um, or your brother is a hostage, of course you're going to be angry. But to take that sort of um, inflammatory speech and then say it's the state who have this genocidal intent, well, that's a step too far. I don't think they can make that that kind of a case out. Um, there is a sense in which, as you mentioned, what's the purpose of this exercise? Mm. So we know that a similar exercise happened um, recently between uh, Russia and Ukraine at the ICJ where Ukraine obtained preliminary relief saying that Russia must stop um, its military operations. Russia had made a false claim that uh, Ukraine was involved in a genocide against Russian people in the Donbass. And the ICJ said, well, we're going to make this order that you can't engage in any further military conduct. Uh, and Russia just ignored it. Um, now, of course, South Africa said nothing at that time um, and didn't say this is a breach of international law and we we're completely horrified by this. Um, so there's a sense in which this is a PR exercise. Um, I think it's important that Israel is able to sell, tell its side of the story. Um, I often think in my own cases that, especially when you're doing political work that, uh, or cases that have a political aspect to them, that you're doing something that's beyond the particular case that you're involved in. You're speaking to those judges, you're trying to win, but you're also speaking to an, a wider audience, and this is an, a global audience. So what does winning look like for South Africa? What, what do they want... What would be a sweet victory? What would be a, a, a terrible defeat? Yes. So first we must recognize that it's a two-part case. So um, part two of the case is to have a declaration that Israel has committed acts of genocide. Um, and that case will take many years. Part one, which is the current case, is a preliminary injunction, which is to say that Israel must uh, stop uh, its, its current war, there must be a ceasefire, and that it must stop any uh, genocidal conduct. Um, so its first prize would be that. Uh, that would be a win for South Africa. Um, and uh, it would be, of course, uh, a humiliation for South Africa if that case was dismissed um, and a victory for Israel um, and a vindication of why Israel is there. As I say, what the, the threshold that South Africa has to meet at the moment is a low one, which is that it's plausible that genocide is taking place or that there, and that there's genocidal intent. Um, Israel is going to say, well... Um, the reason why we're there is to protect ourselves. If we wanted to wipe out the Palestinians, we could. Um, we have the military capacity to kill every single Palestinian in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, and we're not doing it. Also, um, just on the numbers, since that's what people like to talk about here, how many dead, and it's all gruesome and revolting, which war is, and we live in a media age now where I think people have forgotten what war is unless they've actually been to conflict zones, so they're horrified when they see it, but they thought somehow, what, it was honorable and decent and people just shook hands and walked off the battlefield before. Um, if we're going to talk numbers, is there is there any evidence whatsoever that Gaza's population has been shrinking and that Israel has been doing its best to genetically or uh, population engineer uh, Gazans into extinction? No, you find that um, the 
population group in Gaza has grown over time, um, quite dramatically over time. So you don't have this, uh, it's sort of hard to, in other words, if, if Israel really were trying to do a genocide, they've done a terrible job. So first of all, they went and warned all these civilians to leave their homes when they, before they bombed them. They distributed leaflets. They created safe passages, and then, uh, yeah, they've you know obviously. So, I mean, a, a finding in a in a in a world where people had their brains working properly, they would find that Israel is indeed terribly bad at genocide if that was their purpose. Yes, yes, uh, it's very odd to That's try it. and uh, take the view that you have genocidal intent while um, telling civilians to protect themselves and you know take all these measures. Uh, yeah, not the kind of thing that you see from from real genocide. Years. Okay, but let's say it goes beautifully and swimmingly, and all these judges think it's terrific, and the international media already think it's terrific. Uh, the South African case. Now, what's the great outcome that they're hoping for here? Uh, the world to say Israel, you are bad, and then what? Yes, I suppose the view would be to try and amp up pressure, um, specifically on the United States, um, to say, well, you know, um, Israel is now a pariah state. This is finally against them. Uh, you need to condemn their war and you need to um, push them into a situation where they withdraw. Now, uh, if you think about Israel's prior wars, which were also existential in nature, so the first being, of course, the War of Independence in 48, um, you know, then the Six-Day War in 67, and the seven, you know, the, the Yom Kippur War in 73, um, where Israel is really fighting for its existence surrounded by hostile states. Um, yeah. There was immense international pressure on Israel to stop those wars. Um, so... That is, I think, the, the strategic goal. Um, it's unclear what Israel will do. I mean, they've made it quite clear that it will take a year um, for this war to be resolved, at least. Um, that the nature of the war might change, that it'll be um, um, more precise in some ways. Um, but uh, Hamas are an existential threat um, to, to Israel, to its existence, um, and that it's important that uh, it is entirely eradicated. Now, of course, when um, the Allies like America and the UK, took uh, the move to eradicate ISIS, and many civilians died um, during the eradication of ISIS. That was an important thing to do. Uh, ISIS was um, putting journalists in cages and burning them alive. You know, this is a death cult in a similar way to Hamas. Um, and no one was telling America, you know, ceasefire. Okay, one, one last thing on that matter. Um, why is it that no one has taken Yemen to the... ICJ or the ICC? Why is it that no one has taken Turkey or Iraq or Pakistan or Afghanistan, all countries where there have been slaughter of Muslims? Uh, why has nobody taken them to either of those bodies? Yeah, I mean, there's something worrying about this. If you think because about- Because if, if we're gonna apply this stuff, let's at least be consistent. Sure. Um, I mean, let's say that you think that the only lives that matter are Muslim lives then why isn't there a conversation about the Uyghurs in China who are being persecuted, um, yeah. about you know Muslims in India who have been persecuted or being deported from their homes? Nothing. It's not a conversation point. So when it's only when uh, the Jewish state, the only Jewish state in the world, um, is involved in the conflict, then suddenly everybody cares. That starts to look like anti-Semitism as opposed to really caring about civilian lives. Um, if you think about, as you said, the amounts of global violence going on right now as you have this conversation, that people are ignorant of or don't care about, um, that hypocrisy is uh, rather astounding. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much. Um, Mark Oppenheimer, and a, a quick look at where we're at with this matter at the ICJ. And um, we'll obviously catch up uh, after the, re the results of this come out and, and what argument is proffered by Israel. So we'll see. Just based on what we've heard so far, 
it looks like it's going to be a very, very long, ongoing debate, much like the Middle East conflict has been an ongoing and um, insoluble problem. So let's see what happens. Thanks, Mark.